In this episode, I come to realize that Charlie Brown was probably looking for me as he awaited the great pumpkin. I acknowledge I'm glad I didn't have to take Celtic phonics in school. I tell you about something called souling, which is not related to the Dementors in any way and isn't as scary as the word sounds, and I admit to my one and only seance when I was in elementary school, all on the way to answering the question, Is Halloween Christian? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Okay, I'll have to say up front, it is a strange thing to admit but I think I enjoy Halloween much more as an adult than I did as a kid. As a kid, Halloween had this strange combination of anticipation and fear. I was that kid with a vivid imagination, and it took very little mental stimulation for me to be unable to sleep or to have nightmares throughout the night. So as Halloween approached, yes, there was no question. It was an exciting time of roaming the neighborhood with my friends, and returning, of course, with a sack full of treats. But there was always the shadow of the creepy side of the holiday that lurked in the background, at least for me. This is most perfectly exemplified by the trick-or-treating I did my fifth grade year. That year, I remember not having a costume until the very last minute, and so I think my parents, in exasperation, finally stepped in. My father carved a pumpkin out and lined it with wax paper, and my mother took an oversized shirt, cut vines out of green felt, and sewed them together. So my costume was, of course, a walking jack-o'-lantern with vines dangling around me. Now, I have to tell you, they came up with idea. They created it, and I was far from convinced that this was a great costume idea, or even a good costume idea. But the good news is, on this particular Halloween, once I set foot outside the house and was met by my friends with rave reviews about my costume, I settled down and life was good. The only problem was that the pumpkin they'd used to make the head of the costume was very large and therefore really heavy. I had to take it off between houses because my neck got tired and I really couldn't see or hear that well in the costume either. Now, it's become the rage in recent years, in the last decades, to make sure that Halloween costumes don't contribute to children getting hurt on the holiday, which is a good thing. So people are often reminded to look for a label that says that the Halloween costume that a child is wearing is fire retardant. And I will also regularly see reminders for parents telling them to make sure that their children's costumes do not impair the child's ability to hear and to see. Now, I'm not exactly sure how it came to pass, but I'm pretty sure my costume was the impetus for that note of caution. So that year, we left our homes, making our way down the street, then up the next, then down another street, until we came to a house 
where the door was ajar. As we approached, the door opened with a creak, and there stood inside the house a witch. Welcome, children. Do come in. I've been expecting you. At one level, I knew she was a neighborhood mom dressed as a witch. And yet at another level, I also knew witches who were excited to see children and telling children they'd been expected was a pretty bad thing, at least from the stories that I remembered. Whoever lived in this house had gone way over the top for Halloween. The entire first floor of their home had been converted into a haunted house, and it was really well done. And fortunately for me, it was creepy without being terrifying. The last staged room of this haunted house as they worked us through the whole place. You came down the stairs out of what was their kitchen into the garage with the two overhead doors wide open to the outside. But in this case, the garage had been transformed into the laboratory. They had somehow perfectly recreated Frankenstein's laboratory in their garage with a gigantic body-shaped thing lying under a sheet on a gurney and all sorts of technical gizmos and lights to make it all feel real. In the middle of the room was a huge witch's bubbling cauldron, which had in the center of it a bowl filled with candy, and we were encouraged, as the tour finished, to help ourselves, which we all did. And just as our hands had grasped a handful of candy... Frankenstein raised up from the table and chased us all from the garage. Remember that old adage for hikers? You know, the one, if you're hiking with a group of people and suddenly you all are chased by a bear, you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun one of the other hikers. Or in this case, you don't have to outrun Frankenstein, just the kid with a 45-pound pumpkin on his head. And, And outrun me, they did. I actually never saw the rest of my group again that night. We may have just all scattered to four corners. Eventually, I just kind of got frustrated walking along with a 45-pound pumpkin under my arm, and I just headed home. Now, this is both my best and I think my worst story of Halloween, which is also a pretty accurate reflection of the relationship the holiday has and has had with the church over the years. For some, it's just innocent, secular fun. For others, it has a basis in faith and so is worth being celebrated. And of course, for some people, it is at best a holiday that traces its roots to non-Christian traditions and at worst, flirts with mainstreaming satanic rituals for our children. So let's start with a little terminology first. One of the prevailing theories is that Halloween has its origin in pagan traditions. The word pagan itself, in its current meaning, is a word that comes from the Christian community. Actually, we coined it back in the 4th century. Prior to the 4th century, Christianity was mostly filled with outsiders because it was so dangerous to be a Christian that people in power didn't become Christians. But in the middle of the 4th century, the new emperor, Constantine, began to show favor towards Christianity, and suddenly... It was no longer dangerous the way it had been to join the faith, and so people joined. Many people joined. 
And Christians took a Roman term. There was a Roman word, pagan, which technically meant landmarker, but was generally used to mean those people who lived out beyond the landmarkers, meaning rural people from the countryside. And Christians began to use the word pagan and repurposed it as a derogative term for people who still foolishly worshipped more than one god. So at its most basic level, the word pagan today just means people who worship more than one god. Now, I take a moment to define the term for two reasons. First, Christians had spent several centuries being the focus of bigotry, bias, and persecution. And so I tell the story just because I wish we'd lasted longer than a couple of years in power before we started doing the same thing to other people. Also, I have occasionally heard some Christians equate the words pagan and satanic, which is just not correct. Pagan means worshiping several gods. Satanism means worshiping, well, Satan. So to say Halloween has pagan origins is not to say that it has its roots in Satanism, which is an entirely different thing. So let's start with the name. The name is definitely Christian in origin. One of the major feast days for many Christians throughout the world is All Saints Day, celebrated on November 1st. All Saints Day is also known by a number of other names, but also known as All Hallows Day. And just as the day before Christmas is called Christmas Eve, the day before All Hallows Day was called All Hallows Eve or Hallows Eve, which shortened comes to be said as Halloween. So the name Halloween is definitely of Christian origin and simply refers to the relationship October 31st has with November 1st. So, does that answer the question? Well, no, not really, does it? As seems to be so often the case, there are two prevailing opinions as to how to answer this question. Now, I'm sure there are other opinions, but two primary theories as to the origin of Halloween. And I'm going to stick with these two prevailing answers that are supported by some objective cultural research. So, yes, you may have read a different theory on Facebook, which I will also add is the same place I read that Bill Gates will give away $5,000 to everyone who clicks and shares a particular link on Facebook. So I think we all can agree that Facebook is truly a place filled with half-truths and a lot of disappointment. Okay, so the first and probably most popular theory is that Halloween traces its roots to a Celtic day called Samhain. Now, because it's a Celtic word, the spelling is different than you might expect. It's spelled like we would pronounce it, Samhain. So it's S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but pronounced Samhain. Most of the traditions of this day existed alongside Christianity within Celtic society. Samhain was seen as a delineation marker between the time of harvest and abundance, and now the approaching days where the harvest has ended and the days are continually getting shorter and darker. 
Because this was seen as a time of transition, it was also believed to be a time in which the boundary between this world and the spirit world was thinned enough for spirits to pass through temporarily. There was a belief that these spirits needed to be given an offering to ensure the safety of the people within a home or the livestock owned by that home during the coming dark months. So you made an offering to them to give you some protection over the next couple of months. Scholars generally believe that these spirits and their need to be given some sort of offering was a holdover from when people were part of a pantheistic culture. So food would be prepared and placed outside the door as an offering to appease the spirits that roamed the land on this night. Samhain happened to occur on October 31st and November 1st. Now, it wasn't a two-day event. It's just that the Celts counted the days as beginning in much the same way manner that Jewish tradition does, from sundown to sundown. So this day, by our modern Western calendar, went from the evening October 31st to the evening of November 1st. Another tradition that revolved around this day is one that's common in many cultures around the world, and there was a belief that on this night, the souls of the deceased returned home. So meals would be prepared and extra places set at the table for those who were visiting from beyond. Prayers would be said, candles lit, and then after the meal, various games and activities would follow. My theory being, perhaps just to kind of lighten up the mood following a dinner that was just shared with a bunch of dead people. The games and activities would often revolve around food, and some were purely fun, such as bobbing for apples, and others held kind of a more cultic fascination in which mirrors, nuts, or other items were used to attempt to tell the future. People would try to figure out how long they would live, when they would die, that's always a fun one, and who their future spouse might be. There were other interesting traditions that developed. Mumming was a tradition of going from house to house in costume or disguise, and some of these traditions were that the mummers remained silent and came inside to play games or eat food all in silence the whole time. In other places, other traditions said that the mummers went from house to house seeking food, and to invite them in and to feed them was to court good luck and invite fortune during the coming winter. So, is it easy to see why folklorists who are trying to trace the roots of Halloween would see an annual observance on October 31st that's focused on spirits and occasionally has participants dressing in costume and giving out food as the possible precursor to Halloween? Okay, it's a bit of a stretch, but I'll see some vague parallels there, sure. So that's the pagan theory. There is a theory of more Christian-oriented roots to Halloween. As I already said, the name comes from its association with All Hallows' Day on November 1st. And Christianity has a long tradition of having vigils the day before a feast, so it would make sense that the day before All Saints or All Hallows would develop into its own observance. As an aside, the day after All Saints is called All Souls Day, 
And the three days of Halloween, All Saints and All Souls are called All Hallowtide. The Feast of All Saints Day, being celebrated on November 1st, dates back to Pope Gregory III, because in the year 835, he switched the official observance to November 1st. When I was an assistant priest at a church in Florida, the priest who was in charge of the church told me an interesting story that it became a useful image to me as to how to make important decisions at times. The church where I worked began a school a number of years before I got there, and as they built buildings for the children, the designers naturally worked out walking paths between the buildings and built sidewalks between them. The problem came when they first opened the school and discovered that the children didn't walk on the paths that they had paved. So in the future, they would often build a building as the school grew and just wait on the sidewalks so that they could pave them after they discovered the walking paths that naturally were created. There is a brilliance to not fighting against the momentum of society and instead using it. The church has many times throughout its history in essence paved the sidewalks where the children are walking, so to speak. And in all likelihood, that's exactly what the church did in the 8th century. It was not unusual for various cultures to honor the dead at this particular time of year, at the change of the seasons and the approach of winter. So it made sense that Pope Gregory moved the observance of all saints to November 1st when people were already inclined to remember those who had died. And it was no doubt an effort to take a non-Christian day and usurp its power by placing a Christian holiday with a similar focus in the same time slot. In a number of places across Europe, there was a tradition of souling. That's S-O-U-L-I-N-G. Special cakes called soul cakes were baked by people, and soulers, often poor people and even children, would go from door to door dressed in ritual costume and offer to pray for the deceased members of the household in exchange for soul cakes. And so many people believe that this tradition is the precursor to trick-or-treating. There was a theology at the time of believing that many people, when they died, didn't go to hell, but they weren't quite ready for heaven either. So because they didn't get to go straight to heaven, they had to work off some time in purgatory before being released to go into heaven. And the prayers offered during souling were seen as an effort to offer petitions on behalf of the soul in purgatory and perhaps get some of their time reduced in purgatory. So when the Reformation came around in England, there were Protestants who rebelled against the traditions surrounding Halloween, not because it was satanic or even pagan, but because the whole idea of purgatory was a Catholic theological idea, and they wanted nothing to do with anything that smacked of Catholicism. As I think about Halloween and my experience of it growing up, it's always fascinating for me to discover that things I assumed had been around for a long time are relatively new. Prior to the 19th century, Halloween was not really widely celebrated in the United States, and it wasn't until the influx of Scottish and Irish people that it began to take hold in any kind of widespread way. 
So is Halloween Christian in origin? I think the definitive answer would be sort of. More important, I think, is the question that often seems to divide one Christian from another at this time of year. And that is, is Halloween dangerous for Christians? Or we could even say people of any faith to celebrate? When I was a little boy living in Nashville, exactly around the time of the great Halloween pumpkin costume debacle, there was a local legend of the Bell Witch. Now, I don't remember any of the details of the origin story, nor do I think I ever heard them as a child. But what I remember is this. The children at my school told me that if you went into an absolutely dark closet and recited the phrase, I believe in the Bell Witch three times, her face would appear to you in the darkness. Now, I will tell you, I remember sitting with two friends in a pitch-black closet reciting the phrase once. I was so terrified just sitting in the closet, I never made it to completing the exercise. I don't think anybody did. My point is this. We as children gave the Bell Witch power, so she became something powerful in our lives. If you give power to something, then it has power over you. But on the other hand, if you take something dark and make it silly and trivial, then you rob it of its power. I'm reminded of an illustration from the Harry Potter books. In the Harry Potter books, there's a terrifying creature called a Bogart, and it lurks in the shadows and jumps out at people, always taking their greatest fear and manifesting it to them. Now, the way to defeat a Bogart in the books is to imagine it as something funny. Turn the fear into something comical to laugh at, and you've robbed the Bogart of its power. For the most part, I think Halloween, as celebrated in secular society, is our attempt to take our fears of the darkness and the unknown and overcome them by making them trivial, funny, even fun. So is Halloween dangerous? Well, I guess you have to answer that for yourself. But for me, I think, no. Not unless you give it that power. I think it's just a time of silliness and fun. Not filled with theological import, but nor does it really need to be. I don't know about you, but in my life, I could use a little more silliness and fun right now. So happy Halloween to you all. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. I invite you to get in contact with me through email, or you can follow me on Twitter. Just remember that both are SkyPilot with three T's. That's S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T at gmail.com. And Twitter is at SkyPilot. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, 
but that you keep asking questions.